Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. I wanted to share is a curious passage that a lot of people haven't um, heard about. It's the case of the floating axe head. Have you ever heard of this story? Uh, it's in 2 Kings chapter 6, and um, God does a miracle in the, the story and creates a floating axe head, and there's a big, a big application behind it, and, the, and, and really, so, so what we're going to focus in on, it, on it, if I get my words straight today, what we're going to focus in on is the effectiveness that we need to have in this next year, because the next year, I've talked to a lot of you guys 2024, I think, is going to be a crazy year in the United States. Uh, we got an election year. You have uh, all kinds of weird stuff that's going on. You got the war uh, that's going on in Israel. You got Russia. You got a lot of things going on that are brewing. And um, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this, the situation in 2 Kings, and the prophet Elisha is on the scene. And Israel at that time is in turmoil, just kind of like our country is right now. And what was happening is you had the majority of the country that were going towards Baal and starting to do all kinds of weird practices of Baal worship and obviously the sexual immorality and everything that, that encompassed that. And, and what you had then is you had this remnant of believers and a group of men that were surrounding Elijah, Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. And, and they were trying to hold down the fort, man. They were trying to hold it together. They were trying to keep the truth out. They were trying to get the truth out and, and, and try to prevent Israel from going off the cliff. And I wanted to focus on this group of men because they're really kind of a, a picture of what we're trying to do here in America as Christian men. And think about this. I mean, last Sunday night, we try, we're trying to hold to the truth we're trying to be salt and light, so we go downtown and uh, we stood in protest against the drag queen Christmas thing that they were having, and, and it was just crazy, man. It was chaotic down there. It was demonic. Let me let, let's put it that way. All kinds of weird stuff going on, obviously, with the drag queens. But then across the street, we had some dude in the cult uh, with a loudspeaker going crazy. People driving around. Uh, you know, uh, in their cars and honking at us. It, it, was, it was a demonic uh, night, really. And when you're, when you're in those kinds of environments, you realize how important it is to be spiritually in tune with the Lord and how, how important it is to be uh, in tune with him, to be effective. Because if you're not, you will not win that kind of war. And we saw people get up there and, 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 and kind of embarrassed themselves when they took a mic and they started talking and they weren't ready for the spiritual environment that they were in. Because it was so confusing, so chaotic, a lot of demonic activity happening. And when they got up there, they just dropped the ball, man. They just couldn't maintain their composure. They, they were losing it and it was evident that their... They, their effectiveness wasn't there. They, they weren't ready for the challenge. 
And, and, and that's kind of where we're going to take our cue from in, in how to be ready for this challenge so that we can be effective and not, not go into environments like this and come out a dud. And, and so I want to take you through this a little bit and, and, and making sure our axes are sharpened so that we can do the work that the Lord wants us to do. So here's the scenario. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan. And you're like, what's the big deal here? But again, this is a group of men. They're not, I, I, the picture looks like boys, but they're a group of men, young men, that are following the prophet Elisha to turn the country around, to stop the decay of what's going on in their country. So they're piling up, and they're all on fire for the Lord, they're, and they got their leader there, the prophet Elisha, and they're being trained, and, and they're growing. They're growing in number. There's, there's people coming here and saying, I wanna be part of what you're involved with. I see what you're doing, and you're pushing back against this evil. I wanna be a part of that. And that's what I think we, our job in this year is supposed to do. We need to attract other men to the fight. There is a fight going on, and we cannot obviously sit this one out, and we're not. We're definitely involved, but other people need to join us. They need to join in the fight. Uh, and so our numbers need to grow in that sense of who's going to fight. We don't want people just sitting there and doing nothing. That's not the kind of person we want. We want these guys that are saying, hey, man, we're growing. We need to get a bigger place, Elijah, because we're getting so many that want to push back against this evil that's going in the world. Great. So they tell him this, and they said, let every man take a beam from here, there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. So really, they need a bigger place. But what's, what's going on here? What's, what's this is about? They're needing to expand their ministry because they were being able to attract people to it. So a couple things, uh, some principles I want you to see. To keep our effectiveness, we must look to expand our personal ministry to something beyond us. That's what 2024 needs to hold for you. You need to ask your, your personal question bet between you and the Lord, how can I expand my personal ministry? How can I expand what I'm doing right now? And, and, and that's really the challenge. And that's what these young men are following Elisha saying, look, we need to build, build, uh, build a bigger place. This is a new challenge. And, and we'll, we'll take the timber and do it ourselves. And so it's trying to show that these men will stop at nothing to expand the ministry, to expand the truth. And so... They, they don't look to their own resources. I mean, they, 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 they see that these are young men. They don't have a lot of money. But they said, you know what? We, we're not going to let that stop us. We'll just do it. And unfortunately, that's what happens to a lot of people. They look at their own resources. And they say, well, we can't do it. We don't have enough resources. Yeah, but with God, you have all the resources. You can do it. But you just need to push forward. And so what you're seeing with this group of men is they don't sit back. They said, we have a problem. We need to expand our ministry. Uh, we don't have the resources, but let's go do it, man. Each man, grab a pole, grab a tree. Let's cut it down and expand. Okay, so there's, 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 there's some character here that I want to show you in these guys. And they're young men, 
But what, what you're starting to realize is they are in a spiritual battle. And there's national decay. There's unfaithfulness among Israel. They're in spiritual turmoil. But they're not discouraged. They're not sitting back sucking their thumb in the corner saying, woe is me, I hope Jesus comes back and saves me because I don't want to fight, I want to sit in the corner. It's like, no, they don't have that mentality. Their mentality is we're going to fight. We're going to, we're going to do what we can. One of the big aspects of these, these, these young men is they studied the word of God with Elisha. So it's not about just simply gearing up physically for a battle. They were gearing up spiritually for the battle. And the only way you're going to do that is with the word of God. That's the only way you can fight. The, way, the only way you're going to navigate through the deception that's going on right now is by the truth. Amen. There's no other way. You cannot fight this battle on your own. It is way beyond you and I. Look, man, when you're dealing with demons like we were at the other night, they are so sophisticatedly smarter than us. They are, their IQs are off the chart. If our, if our highest IQ is 165 or something, theirs is 1,000. You're dealing with creatures that have a high intellect that can outsmart any one of us. We are no match against them. The only way we can match up to with them is with the word of God. That's it. That's our rescue. That's what you have to hold on to. So if you're going to fight in this battle, you've got to know the word of God. And again, they didn't let their resources stop them. They took the initiative. Hey, we're just going to go do this. That's what you have to do. You got to take the initiative. You can't sit back anymore. Like what we saw with Israel. They needed help. They needed gear. You know what we did? We took the initiative to raise the money, and we provided the gear. When we were in Israel a couple weeks ago, I saw the very gear that you purchased on the guys. They showed me the vests. Okay? That's called taking the initiative. You can't sit back and let things happen. You have to be on point. And you have to have, be hardworking. You know what the problem is? A lot of people are just flat out lazy. They don't like to do anything. And they, so they sit back and they pretend that they're, they're busy, but they're not. Because they're not doing anything for the Lord. They're spiritually lazy. So these guys are faithful, dedicated. They're willing to sacrifice. They see the need. And they, they rush to it. That's the kind of guys that are around Elisha during this period of time. That's the kind of guys you are. You're willing to step up. You're willing to get involved. You're willing to take on the community. You're willing to take it on. That's what you have to do in 2024. Because I can tell you this. The other churches are going to sit this one out. They're not going to get involved. They don't want to get involved. I can already tell you that. They weren't down there at the drag queen show. They're not supporting Israel. They're not su supporting uh, the right to life. They're not there. They're not supporting Philip Lee and, and getting people out of homosexuality and lesbianism. They're just not there. They're absentees. So it starts with you. And everybody we're talking to around the country, their pastors are weak, their churches are weak, but it's the grassroots men that are actually doing the fighting. It's not the pastor. It's not the church. It's the grassroots. That's what has to happen. That's what's happening in the story. Now, this is kind of a joke, but this is kind of how the churches function in America. Once upon a time, there were four men named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was asked to do it, but everybody was sure that somebody would do it. 
Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, and nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody, and nobody did the job that anybody could have done in the first place. That's the American church. Okay? That's what's happening. So what happens in the story? Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And this is Elijah they're talking to. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. You're like, what's the big deal? It seems very elementary in the language that it's speaking, but it's profound. What do you mean? So they're asking permission. Hey, we see a need. We want to meet the need. We don't have a lot of resources, but we're going to go. Elijah, will you come with us? And he's like, yeah, I'll go. Why is that important? Because it's this. They're admitting their humility. Why? Because Elisha is the prophet. They're following him. He's the leader. And, and he's the elder in the group, obviously. And so when they're asking him to go, they're saying, we're going to take on something new that we have never taken on, and we need your leadership to navigate the waters. That's what they're saying. It's an act of humility. It's stupid for us to think that we're going to go into a spiritual battle without any guidance, to think we're going to take it on. And so, in order to keep our effectiveness, we all need navigators in this battle. And that's what Elijah is for them, obviously the Lord. So, but that calls for humility. You have to be willing to say, look, I'm going into uncharted waters. I need some help. I need to be able to talk to people that have been here before, that have possibly done this before. So first of all, I, the first person I got to go to is the Lord, okay? I got I to I gotta go to him in my humility and saying, I need your guidance in this. So I have to walk in the light. Because if I don't walk in the light and I don't obey and I don't abide in him, I'm going to get off track. I have to know what he wants me to do. And so... Again, how do you know this? How are you going to know the will of God? You have to walk in the light. You have to be obedient. You have to do the things he wants you to do, and then he can lead you. If you don't, he won't lead you. He refuses to lead people that won't obey him, okay? So that's first of all. You have to walk in the light. Second of all, well, here's another thing. Let me show you this. So my point about this is you can pretend to walk in the light just like these guys are pretending to have abs by sticking their bellies against a fence, but it's all for show, as you can see. And there's obviously a lot of people that say they're walking in the light, but they're actually not. And because of that, they're not led by the Lord, and they get themselves in trouble. But another thing, so you have the Lord as your navigator, but then you have to have another human being as a navigator as well. And this is where you see like a Paul-Timothy type of relationship where you have a mentor type of thing. And, and it, it, it's, it's, especially our young guys, it is important that you have an older Christian, someone more mature in the faith that has been down the path ahead of you. And because why? Because they get a diploma in the school of hard knocks, man. They've been there. They've done it. You know, it's like, hey, I can tell you, kid, don't do this, don't do that. 
You need somebody in your life, like a, like a Timothy needed Paul, to help navigate. Because I can tell you, man, I, even when, when I was in my 20s and then I got into ministry early on, man, I was listening to guys that were you know, in their 50s and 60s and 70s and even into their 80s because I needed to know how to navigate because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and now the roles are starting to change now for me. So now I'm taking a more uh, a senior position and, and, and I'm, I'm having to talk to the younger guys and say, this is what you do because I made a mistake here and I made a mistake there. You cannot discount those types of navigators. You have to have these kind of guys in your life. Now, with, with what I'm doing now at my level is I talk to guys that are other pastors that are, that are in my position that are ahead of me in other ministries. And I talk to them, and I get on the horn, and I get, call them on the phone, and I say, hey, man, have you ever seen this? Have you ever done this? Because I haven't, and this is crazy, and am I seeing this right? So I make those phone calls because it, it keeps me balanced because, man, I could get off. And, I'm, and sometimes my, my perceptions are wrong, and I'm like, am I seeing this right? And they'll say, no, nah, no, nah, man, this is, what, this is what happened, and it happened to me, and it did, it did this, and it did that. And I've been able to, to, to like, uh, glean that wisdom because someone was ahead of me. And, and the last guy I talked to, I was talking to Sharam. He's another good guy, uh, Sharam Hadian. He's a friend of our ministry. And I said, hey, man, have you ever seen this? And he says, yeah, it just happened to me two months ago. And he told me what happened to him. And he, he was like, I, I told him at the end of it, I said, you know what, you, with that story, I said, I could switch out the names of your people and put the names of my people, and it's the same story. He goes, yeah. He goes, because it's the same demonic activity. And, and just hearing that, saying, okay, I'm not crazy. I, I'm, I'm seeing it for what it is. Dude, that helped me so much to be able to reach out and do that. But that's what I'm at, the Lord wants us to do. That's what Elijah is playing this part with these young guys. Will you go with us because we need to navigate? Yes, I'll go. That's what it's what saying. Now, here's what happens to the axe. So they're chopping down trees to make this expansion of their school. Um, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water. So we got a problem here now. So the guy's chopping wood and they're, they're doing what they can and we have an accident. And the accident is this guy, spiritually speaking, is losing his effectiveness. What do you mean? He's lost his cutting edge. So now he doesn't have an axe head, he just has a stick. Okay, so the, the moral of the story is this guy has lost his effectiveness spiritually. It is a real act that happens, but it's the lesson that's coming from behind it. So here's the thing about spiritual effectiveness. Spiritual effectiveness can, or a lack of effectiveness can come upon you in a sudden way and you not even realize it. So you're chopping away, you're chopping away, and all of a sudden you lose your axe head. It's in the water. And now you have nothing to chop that wood with. It's just a stick. So the principle then is when you realize that you have lost your cutting edge, 
Realize it was never planned. So what happens? You're thinking you're being effective and you're, being, you're, you're, you're doing what you've been doing, but there's a critical thing that's happening. Something that has happened in your life to change things, okay? And it's sometimes just the way of life, how it goes. You know, things happen. Job changes. Family dynamics change. Something happens. You get sick or something like that. And the person loses their spiritual effectiveness, okay? And they didn't plan it. Like this guy, he's chopping wood. He didn't plan to lose the ax head. He flipped it back one time and boom, and it came off and went into the Jordan. So no one really plans it. It just happens because of life. The key is to recognize that you've lost your effectiveness. Now, how would I know? Well, one of the ways you can tell that you have lost your effectiveness is that you don't see spiritual results. What do you mean? Well, I'm not talking about new numbers. Like, oh, I have a Bible study and uh, I went from five people to 12 people. That's, that's, you don't, that's not results. You don't see people growing around you. You don't see people that you're discipling growing, okay? They're stagnant. They're not getting past their stuff. You're not getting past your stuff. When you start seeing stagnation with the people you're discipling and your own self, something has happened, something has changed, you've lost your effectiveness. Now what happens is many people just keep repeating what they have always done. The problem is when seasons change and times change and the, the environment demands more of you and you don't match up to that environment, you will lose your effectiveness. Because what worked in 1985 is not going to work in 2023. The principles will stay the same, but the methodologies change. So for instance, I'll give you a, a, a church methodology. In the 1970s, bus ministries were the rage. And they worked, and they were very effective, and people got saved on bus ministries. Today, no one does bus ministries. There's a few maybe here and there, but it's ineffective. It's a methodology that's from the past. 2023 demands a new methodology. So if I was still trying to do bus ministry in 2023 and watch nothing happen, I have lost my effectiveness. That's what I'm talking about. So in your own personal life, ask yourself, are you being effective spiritually with other people, with yourself? If not, you might have lost your ax head. If you, if you feel that you might have lost your ax head and you're not as effective as you once were or you're not at all, then what do you do? Well, look what the guy did. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. It's not even his. So what's going on here? Well, the first thing is he goes to the right person. He doesn't go to his peer. He goes to the prophet, a prophet Elisha. So let me give you a little, a, a little help here. If you're trying to regain your effectiveness, your peers will not be able to help you because your peers are typically at the same level. They can't see it. You have to go to someone more mature 
that's been longer in the faith with the Lord that can see it and identify and show you where you got off the path. That's why a navigator is so important in your life because your peers can't help you. Your peers can do this for you. They'll pray for you, they'll encourage you, but peers typically can't navigate because they haven't been down there. You have to have someone much older, more wiser, that can help you. And so, what does he do? He does the appropriate thing. Master, I need help. He doesn't go to his, hey, buddy. He doesn't do that. He goes to Elijah. And then he says, I got a problem. Not only did I lose my axe head, it is borrowed. It is borrowed. Now, what is he trying to say? What's the spiritual lesson in there? Number one, I'm going to the navigator, but number two, I realize that my tools do not belong to me, that I am a steward of my tools that has been given to me to do the work of the Lord. They don't belong to me. Oh, that's a big deal. That's another humility. So you admit that you have a problem, that you're not being effective, and you recognize that, oh my goodness, I'm not being effective, and God has given me all these tools, and I'm not using them. I've lost them. I've lost the ax head. And I'm, I'm, I'm chopping wood with a stick, and I don't have a blade. And so what the, 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 the guy is recognizing is stewardship. And he's afraid that he can't find this ax head that he's going to have to account. And he doesn't have the money to pay it back. It was borrowed but the lesson for you and I is everything you have is on loan to you. Everything. Your life, your money, your job, all this time, talent, and treasure he has given you. Your physical talents, your spiritual gifts, all of them come from him. If he gives them to you, it means that he still owns them and they're on loan to you to be used to be effective. And if you're not using the gifts to be effective, then you're becoming a bad steward of the, the loaned acts, so to speak. So this is a whole stewardship here issue. So Elijah comes back and says, so the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. This is what every navigator can do for you. So when you go before your navigator, your mentor, your apostle Paul, your Elijah, who's navigating for you, and you say, I've lost my effectiveness, I don't know how to get it back, can you help me? The navigator has the ability to see where did the ax come off? Where did it fall into the water? Show me where you got off the path. Because, why is that important? Because you have to go back to the same place that you got off the path to begin with in order to reestablish your effectiveness spiritually. So if you realize I'm not effective, you got off the path somehow. Something got in the way. Maybe you got distracted with life. 
Maybe your job got in the way. Maybe your family got in the way. Maybe issues at home, I don't know, got in the way, and all of a sudden you are, you're, not, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for the Lord. Something's got in the way. So the navigator has the ability to say, let's take an inventory. Where did you get off? Well, let's go back and get you back on there and fix the problem of why you got off. Only navigators can do that. Your peers can't do that for you. That's what Elijah is doing. Show me where you lost it. Okay, and he showed him the place. So that's why it's important to have these navigators. So here's the thing. The principle is, when you feel that you have gotten off and you're not as effective spiritually, go back to that place. Where, where, when did it start? When did you think you lost it? Well, it was, it was when we started having marriage problems. Or it was, it was, it was when, you know, this happened at, at, at my kid's school. or It could be anything. Where did it start? And then go back there and go back on the path. So well, this is curious. Then watch what Elijah does. Elisha, I should say. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. So he got a stick from a tree, presumably, and he threw it in the water where the guy was pointing. I lost the ax right here. I lost it right here. He goes, right there? Yeah, right there. Okay, so he goes and breaks off a stick and throws the stick at the same location where the guy's pointing that that's where I lost the ax. Okay, again, it's a simple story but it has a lot of symbolic meaning. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when you see Elisha break the stick off and throw it in the water, it should remind you of a previous event that happened in the days of Moses. Okay? In the days of Moses, when they came out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they needed water. And they cried out to Moses for water. And they were led by the Shekinah glory to the waters of Mara, bitter waters. And they couldn't drink it. And so they cried out to Moses, Moses, tell the Lord we need water. So the, Mo so the Lord tells Moses, go over there and take a branch from that tree and then throw that branch into that water, and the water will turn sweet. And it did, and Israel was able to drink. So when you see Elisha do this, he is repeating similar to what Moses did with the children of Israel, and now Elijah's doing a similar thing. But it's a little bit different, just a little twist. What is the thing about breaking off a branch, a piece of wood, and doing a miracle through a piece of wood? In Moses' case, it turns the water and it purifies the water. In this case, when he throws the stick into the water, the axe head is going to rise up. There's something there. It's a theme of wood. It's a theme of a tree. It's a theme that through a piece of wood, 
a miracle is done. Are you catching this? What's that made out of? Thank you. The tree of life is symbolic of Messiah in the Garden of, the, uh, of Eden, the tree of life, which our Adam and Eve were forbidden to once they sinned against, right? Because they continued to eat the tree from life, they could sustain their lives forever. So the tree of life is a real tree. It's in Jeru New Jerusalem now, but it's symbolic of the Messiah, okay? So what you start realizing throughout the entire Bible is a theme of wood. What's the, what's, what's, what's the, what, 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 what is the boat made out of that Noah? Acacia wood, right? It, okay, what's the Ark of the Covenant made out of? Acacia wood. Acacia wood is the thorns. It produces the thorns. It produces those thorns right up there. So the Ark of the Covenant is made out of the same plant that produced those thorns, which refers to the curse in Genesis 3.15 to Adam and Eve that curses the ground because of you. So the Messiah, with the theme of wood, the acacia, the Noah's Ark, and then Messiah is then crowned with a piece of wood, the thorns that come from the very acacia, and he's crucified on a tree, is he not? So anytime you're in the Old Testament and you see these types of miracles where God is telling them, take a branch off of wood and throw it in the water, it is a typology for the Messiah of what would happen through Messiah. So, for instance... The wood that heals the water in Moses' time is symbolic that through the Messiah dying on a cross, he could purify you just like the miracle of the wood purifying the water. So what's the message here, though? It's a reference to the Messiah, and it's this. The miracle that God will provide via the tree We'll regain that which is lost. That's, that's the messaging. Then I'm going to put the stick right where you said that was lost. It was lost there? Yeah. Boom. He puts the stick there and the axe head floats right up to reclaim that which is lost. Do you see the messaging in the miracle? Which is exactly what Messiah did. He not only purifies you, he reclaims you by his death on the cross to that which is lost, he is now regained. You're no longer lost, you're found. Right? That's, that's the miracle. That's what Elijah's doing. It's a typology of what will come in the future. And so what happened? And he made the iron float. So there's the floating accent. It came, it came right up to the top and floated right on the top of the water. Obviously, this is a miracle. God can do anything, obviously. So it's... The floating axe heads are no problem for God, and it's floating right on the top. Is that the end of the story, though? Uh uh, it's not the end of the story. Because, again, we're talking about effectiveness in ministry. We're talking about effectiveness in your life. How spiritually effective are you? So, God has no problem doing a miracle to get you back on track 
and reclaiming that which is lost. You lost your effectiveness, no problem. Come back to God, get back on the path, and he can reclaim that, and you can do the work that you're supposed to do. No problem, he can do that. He can put you right back on the path and make your ax head that you lost float on the water. But you still have to do something. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. That's the end of the story. What's the point, though? What's the point? Did God do a miracle? Obviously. Made the axe head float to the top. Why didn't God float the axe head all the way to the top of the water and then hover it above the water and then just hover it to the side of the bank of the Jordan into this dude's hand and say, boop, there's your axe. Why didn't he do that? Because he can, obviously. He could have made the axe come up out of the water and go right into the guy's hand. But he didn't do that. Why? Why did God only bring it to the top? He is responsible to go get that axe head. God will not do what he expects you and I to do. He will do the miracle, but that guy has to be responsible enough to get out in that water and go grab that axe head and bring it back to shore. He has to swim out there and get it and bring it back because it's called a division of labor. God will not do everything for you. He will do what is humanly impossible, but he will not do what he expects you and I to do. You and I have to be responsible enough to, to, to do what he calls us. We can't just sit back on the, on the spiritual couch and expect him to do all these wonderful miracles while we sit back and watch this happen. It doesn't work that way. God will do the miracle in your life. He'll float the ax head to the top of the river and say, now go get it. It's yours, go get it now. And you have to fight through the current of the Jordan to go get that ax head that he's made available to you. But he doesn't float it and serve it up on a silver platter to you sitting on a couch. He doesn't do that. It's called the economy of miracles. Now here's another, I'll give you another example of this. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. You all know the story. Come forth, right? Lazarus, come forth. But what did he ask them to do before he raised Lazarus from the dead? I mean, you're talking bringing back someone from the dead, which only God can do. He says, he tells them, um, move the stone. Well, wait, you're God. Can't you just do that and the stone would move? I mean, you're going to raise someone from the dead. Moving a stone in front of a tomb with nothing to him. That's right, it's nothing to him. He could do that, but he doesn't. Why? Why did he make them move that three-ton stone boulder that's in front of Lazarus's tomb, which would have been very hard, and they had to push that thing and roll that thing off to the side. A lot of effort. Had to have probably five people help you move that stone when he could have just waved his hand. Why? The same reason. I need a division of labor from you. I'm not going to do it all. 
I expect you, if you believe that I can do the miracle and actually bring him back from the dead, I want you to prove it through your actions that you believe I can raise him from the dead. So move the stone. And so they had to labor to move that stone. Just like this guy had to go out in the water and get the ax head. Ah, there is the lesson. And the lesson is, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see God do the impossible, then you better start being responsible with your life. You better start doing what he tells you to do, and then guess what? You will see them. But it's called a division of labor. And all, don't, don't ever forget this. He will not do what he expects you and I to do. He wants us to be spiritually effective. That's how we do it. We have navigators. We take the initiative. And we work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from this, this simple passage, but yet profound passage. How the, the stick in the water reveals that which is lost is now found. You can do all those things. But help us, Father, to be responsible enough with our own lives to swim out into the current and pick up the axe head. Or if it's us waiting for you to raise someone from the dead to move the stone, to do the labor that you required us to do, especially in this crazy time that we live in. And help us, Father, take the initiative to be more effective this next year in 2024, to do more than we've ever done in our spiritual lives for you because the time is short. So bless us this next year, bless us for this Christmas, and we'll continue to serve you, Father, faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.